Hey guys, welcome to Trinity Church Online. For more information, please visit us at ourtrinity.org or you can find us on Facebook at Trinity Church of Wheat Ridge or even on Instagram at Trinity Church CO. No matter where you are today, we are glad that you have joined us here. Uh, one reminder that I do want to uh, put out there by way of announcement is we still need people and we need you to fill out these uh, ministry opportunity signups. Um, we had very few signups. I think I had saw maybe a couple more on the desk. And so uh, if you know where you want to serve or if you're already serving in a place, please inform us. Please fill this out. Um, I know LaVon had mentioned to me that we had zero people sign up for the missions team. Uh, and that's not good, right? We need people. We, we, we need uh, people to help support our missionaries and to uh, be in contact with them. And so if that's something that you're interested in, uh, please sign up. Uh, give us this today. Um, that way we can kind of contact you, give the, the information that you need. You can plan meetings, uh, things like that. So that was just one quick thing I had by way of announcement. But we're going to get back into 2 Peter today. Woo! What? No celebration? <laughs> um, I guess, it, and I also should say this, I, I guess, uh, we, uh, yesterday we had my basketball team's last game of the season, um, and so we ended up losing uh, by two points, yeah, it was, it was a rough game, um, but we ended up losing by two points. The only downside, well, I mean, other than losing, I guess, um, was it was out in Grand Junction, so we had a four-hour drive home of just sitting there thinking about it. And so I talked to the other coach, and he's like, man, this is the worst drive after a game ever. Because usually it's like 40 minutes at the most, usually. Uh, but this was a four-hour one where you're just sitting there, and the, it was dead quiet in the van. I mean, no one was saying anything. Um, as opposed to when we were driving out there, you know, I had to be like, calm down back there. What are you doing? You know, keep your shoes on, whatever. Um, it was a very drastically different thing. And so, uh, but also the Lord protected us. Uh, I did have to call a few people. Saturday morning saying like, hey, so there's a very small but possibility that the Vail Pass could be closed and I may not actually be able to get home tonight. Um, and so I had to kind of prepare and, and work around that, but the Lord uh, held back the snow long enough to where I was able to get back and we're able to be here today. So um, praise God for that. So we're going to continue our study of Second Peter. Second Peter. And we are still in chapter one. Still in chapter one. Uh, and you're like, man, how are you going to do this in four weeks? Well, by the grace of God. Um, <laughs> but we got two more chapters, so the next couple weeks we will cover those chapters. Uh, and those chapters as a whole, uh, they really, they can be summed up in, in, in messages. Uh, and so we'll be doing that. But today we're going to finish up chapter 1. Okay, so we're going to be in Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 12 is where we're going to be. Uh, but last week... We looked at the importance of having a knowledge of our faith. We looked at an importance of having knowledge of our faith, right? And this isn't knowledge that we just have as intellect, but it is knowledge that has been gained through experience. It's a faith that we understand and know because we practice it. We live by uh, the standards that, that, that we have here. And so what we, what we talked about was that our spiritual growth and a godly life were indicators on where we were in our spiritual knowledge. See, a greater understanding of our faith will have, will have greater spiritual growth. We'll have a godly life. So we talked about how we needed to be growing in the knowledge of our faith because that is one of the best defenses we have against false teachers. 
if we're growing spiritually, if we're living a godly life, when these false teachers come, we'll be aware of it, right? We'll say, well, no, I'm living by God's standard, so I know that what you are teaching is not accurate. We won't have a lot of confusion. But today we're going to look at our second defense against false teachers that Peter gives us in this passage, and that's knowledge of the word. Knowledge of the word. So let's begin reading in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses tw- starting in verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in, in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to, at any time to recall these things. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we, had, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the, maj- by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I pray as we open it up today that we will learn from it and that we will learn the importance of it. Holy Spirit, please instruct us in the ways that we ought to to live our lives through this word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so the first thing we're going to look at, first point today, is that the word will outlive men. The word will outlive men. So verse 12 through 15, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Peter wanted to remind his readers of the things that we discussed last week, right? That's why in verse 12 it says, therefore, right? Therefore is referring to the things that were before that. So therefore, I intend always to remind you. He wanted to remind us that our faith was in a person. He wanted to remind us that our faith will produce spiritual growth, and that spiritual growth will produce practical results, right? Those are the, the, the points that we had last week. But why did he want to remind them of these things? He even says in those verses that, he, that, they, that they know them and, in fact, are established in them. Why did he want to remind them of them? One thing that I've heard, and, and I've heard from different sermons, but I've also heard uh, outside the church context, that familiarity breeds contempt. Becoming familiar with something can breed contempt towards that, or at least uh, an uncaring idea towards it. Now, this leading into what I'm about to say doesn't really apply, but it does, does apply, right? So I have an awesome wife. You're like, what? Are you saying you have contempt for her? No, 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 no. 
I have an awesome wife, okay? But there's sometimes that I forget and probably don't appreciate her as much as I should. Because there's, there's times that she'll do something or she'll tell me about how her day at work went or she'll, she'll uh, provide and, and make some, whatever it is, and I'm just amazed by it. And I'm like, why am I always amazed? Like, you know, it's like I already know she's pretty cool. Another reminder that we have, right, is, is communion today. I was thinking about how often that we do communion, okay? So here at Trinity, we do it once a month, right? We try to do it the first Sunday of the month. And I was trying to think over my, over my lifetime, right, over 29 years of life, how many times I have done communion. And I don't know that answer. But I did a little bit of math, all right? And so I'm just assuming what we do here at church, okay? I've done communion at least 252 times. At least. Even, even last month, I did communion twice, right? And so I'm sure there was definitely times where I did communion more than once a month. And so it was at least 252. 52 times. Can communion become repetitive? I think at some places, probably. It can be very liturgical, right? You kind of stand and sit and do this and take, right? I know, I know some uh, churches may be like that. Whenever I do communion, I try to change it up. I, I, I get excited about doing communion, uh, and, and I want people to not feel like, oh, we're doing the bread and cup thing today. I want people to understand, hey, this is what this means. This is the importance of it. And I want you to be excited about it every single time. But the reason why I try to change it up and make it exciting or, or uh, at least maybe come at it from a different point of view every time is for this exact reason. Because we can go over it. We can do these things so many times that eventually it becomes knowledge. We understand what it is and it's sort of in our head. But that's all it is. It's not an excitement. So Peter wanted to remind them. He says, I know that you know these things already. I know that you know them. But I am compelled to tell them again because I know my time on earth is coming to a close. And I need to know that you will remember them when I'm gone. See, Peter had this, this compulsion to do this because the Spirit laid it on him. But also he knew, yes, you know these things, but it's greater than just a knowledge. We need to experience, we need to actually practice these things in our life. So a question I want to ask you guys, right? What is one thing that I will have in common with Martin Luther, John Calvin, C.S. Lewis, Billy Graham? They're all dead. <laughs> and I too one day will die, right? Yes, someone said salvation, right? Yes, I, <laughs> that's another thing. I'm sure there's some other great things that I will have with those men right in common. Uh, but I know for a fact, one thing for sure is that I will die as well. Peter knew that his time was short because Jesus had told him when he would die. In John 21, verse 18 through 19, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old... You will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you, do, where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death uh, he was to glorify God. And pay attention to verse 19 at the end. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I love at the end of that verse it says, follow me. How many of you, if you were to find out how and when you were going to die, 
right? Maybe you would have excitement at the beginning because you're like, man, that's a little ways down the road. But as time grew closer, Jesus still says, follow me. So what he gave them is also what we have received. And that's the word of God. Peter's reminder here in, in the words that he writes is the word of God. We have it in our Bible today. See, men will die. Our traditions will die. The institutions that we've set up and put all of our, our life and, and money into will eventually die and fade away. But this word will not die. This word will last forever. So Peter's desire was led by the Holy Spirit to give us this word so that we will have it for generations to come. Going back to 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, 24 to 25, it says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. See, we're not there. Peter isn't alive right now. He's not the one preaching this message. But we have his words. And ultimately, we have the Spirit's words, because the Spirit is what spoke through him. So this word still has power. This word still saves. The word still transformed lives. And the word is still relevant. And it will be forever. So that's the first point. The first point uh, that we need to have knowledge of the word, right? We need to understand that it will outlive all men. The second point is that the word will outlast experience, all experiences. The word will outlast all experiences. Verse 16, it reads uh, through 18, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, uh, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We, are, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So the world around us really runs on experience. Really runs on experiences, okay? Uh, and there's a couple, a couple things that uh, I'll, I'll point out that sort of have that, at least in our own lives, right? How many of you know who Dave Matthews Band is? Anybody? Okay. There's a, there's a few. I don't agree with everything they say, and I don't agree with every song they sing, but there's something about Dave Matthews Band music that I, I just I love. It, it's, it's so different. Okay, it's, it's, it's catchy, right? I'm sure my wife is sick of it because I listen to it a lot. Uh, people refer to it as elevator music, and I was like, uh, I want to go on those elevators, right? That sounds like a fun elevator. Well, something that I was reading, okay, so, so you know, Google follows everybody, right? It's always listening, always knows where we're at. And so there were some articles that popped up about Dave Matthews Band. And something I read that caught my eye was an article on whether Dave Matthews Band was actually good or not. I was like, oh, that's interesting, right? And so I began to read through it, and, and, and the conclusion to this article was like, uh, they're, 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 they were pretty good, but they actually never met their full potential. They could have changed things and gone and, and been better. I was like, no, because like, that's what everyone else does. Everyone else goes to what the main people want. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I had all this disagreement with it, okay? But one thing that stuck out to me was that what they mentioned. It said, in the 90s, to go to, the, to a Dave Matthews band was an experience that you wanted to go to, whether you liked the band or not. 
It was an experience that, that some people just said that they, that they, they had. Right? Oh, I went to a Dave Matthews Band concert last night. Another, an experience that I want in my own life, and something when people ask me what's on your bucket list, the one thing that I usually always tell them is I want to go to Antarctica. And usually they're like, huh? And they're like, why do you want to go to Antarctica? And my answer is to tell people that I've been to Antarctica. That's it, right? I know there's nothing there. It's a snow wasteland, right? There's a few hundred scientists. Maybe their labs are kind of cool. I don't know. I probably don't understand it. But there's no meaningful significance. The only thing is I got to experience it, and how many other people get to experience that? See, this world is, is centered on experiences. Much of my generation, they'll, they'll, they, they grow up and they tell you, you don't need a house, let's just travel the world. That's experience. The world around you will try to tell you, hey, try this new drug or feel this experience. The experience is so great. They may even say, hey, you need to be open-minded when it comes to your relationships and when it comes to sex. It's an experience we all need to have. Unfortunately, many people's faith is based on experience. See, they, they may say, I'm going to believe in God because I had a close encounter with a death experience. That's where their faith is drawn from. Or maybe they had a vision or a dream of Jesus, and now they believe in him as my savior. See, experiences can be good things, okay? So when I say, you know, someone's getting saved, they had a dream and vision, I'm not saying that those are wrong or bad things. See, experiences are good things. In fact, Jesus healed many people that then believed in him as the son of God, and it was that experience of the healing that drew them. But when the basis of our faith is on an experience itself, we will lose faith when we aren't experiencing it anymore. When you have that excitement and the experience of the, the moment, once that moment's gone, our faith has no base anymore. What we read in here is that Peter had one of the greatest experiences any of us could ever hope for. These verses are centered on the transfiguration of Jesus. And I can't even imagine what that's like. Right? When we read the passages in, 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 in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we, we look at the, the, the description here, that would, that's a, an amazing experience. Right? He got to visually see Jesus receiving honor and glory from God. He got confirmation that Jesus was the one that fulfilled prophecy, that he was the one that fulfilled what the prophets were saying, right? Moses and Elijah were there confirming that. He also got confirmation that he, in fact, was the Son of God. God said it himself. And it was also a reminder that those that believe in him as their Savior will receive his righteousness and this kingdom to come. He got to see Jesus in this state. But the only problem with this is that it was Peter's experience. It wasn't our experience. We weren't there. Peter and a couple disciples, that was it. But the amazing thing is that we can still receive the same proof that Jesus is who he says he is because of the word. Peter wrote out this experience, and we can now have that confirmation in the word. We put our faith in God, not because of the experience that we may receive, but because of the word that we have received. 
as we're going to look in, in, in the next week, right, about false prophets and teachers, we will see that they devise myths and tricks, and, and they trick many people to believe in them, right? And many people someday, they might have these deeper spiritual experiences, whatever that means. But one thing we need to understand about experience is that experience can be interpreted differently between individuals. But the Word of God has one clear message. We can forget and distort all our memories of an experience, right? I had that from our, my basketball game last night. Talking to some people afterwards, I was like, you did not see that the way I saw that. Even though we were at the same event, we can distort things in our memory about it, but the Word of God remains forever. So be careful of spiritual exper experiences, right? One thing we need to do with those is we need to make sure that they align with Scripture. They have to align with Scripture, right? We get the eternal word that surpasses all experiences and is, in fact, the standard for our experience. Okay, I know I've heard stories of, of men uh, in, in, in foreign countries that have, they maybe had a vision or a dream of Jesus, right? And eventually they, began, they, they, be, they uh, became saved through that, but it was always a missionary had brought the word to them. So if our standard for an experience is based on Scripture, we will know what is true and what is not true. So that was the second point. The second point is that the Word will outlast all experiences. And the third point is this. The Word outshines all darkness. The Word outshines all the darkness of the Word. Verse 19 through 21. And we have the prophetic Word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, is the world around us getting worse? Yeah, yeah I, I heard a bunch of yeses. What about scientifically? What about health. People are living longer now than, not, not according to the Old Testament, right? But they're living longer now than they did 100 years ago. What about technology? We can communicate to people overseas like that, right? If we want to go to somewhere in the world, we can travel there in under eight hours probably, right? But see, we know it's getting darker because of sin, so when, we, when I asked the question, is it getting worse, most of our minds went to, yeah, sin's getting darker, yes. But when we explain it to a world that doesn't understand it that way, our explanation is futile. They're like, no, the world's not getting worse. In fact, it's getting better. Actually, we're trying to, to fix the wrongs that we did in the past. Right? We're being very progressive with this. We're, we're progressing forward. So if you tell the world that, it, if you try to tell them that it's getting darker, they'll disagree. The only way for the world to understand that it is in darkness is by showing them the light. That's the only way they'll understand. So there's a few things that we point out uh, that the world shines with, okay? Or that the word, sorry, shines with. Okay, the word shines because it is sure. This was in verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. The word of God has been proven true over and over and over again. 
What we saw with the transfiguration was a confirmation of that word. All right, I mentioned these earlier. The prophets predicted a suffering Savior. Those same prophets were on the mountain with Jesus. God confirmed Jesus' calling. Where he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It also spoke of his future glory that will eventually come, right? Jesus received this glory, and we, and we were shown the glory that he would receive. Psalm 19, verse 7 reads, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Our word is sure. It is confirmed. How many of you have ever read uh, maybe a cultist religious document? Maybe a book, maybe a pamphlet? Nobody? Ah, I was a trip. Yeah, yeah, good. I mean, well, not good, but, you know, I've, I've looked at them to see, man, what are, what are they talking about? What are they doing? Right? Verse 16 tells us that they will have cleverly devised myths. And when you read those things, you're like, ooh, that's pretty clever, right? Man, if I, wasn't, if I didn't have the spirit of truth within me right now, that would probably take me on a rabbit trail and to believe in it. But what we do know is that those cleverly devised myths lead to death. That's where their ending is. Our word is the only one that is true. It's the only one that is sure. It is the only one that, in fact, brings life. And to show the world how dark it is, they need to see that truth. They need to see that our word is sure. The second thing is that the word shines because it is our guiding lamp. The word shines because it is our guide. The word's dark place here means murky. Right? How many of you have been to a swamp? Like maybe in Florida, or I don't know if there's any swamps around here. I don't feel like there are, but it's like a murky or, or a moldy old cellar. How many of you have been to one of those? Hopefully it was by choice, I guess, right? <laughs> That's what these words are referring to. The, word, the, the world was such a beautiful place when God created it. Right? The Garden of Eden, it was all perfect. But because of sin we now see that it's become a dark, murky place. Yes, in the physical sense, it still shows the beauty and the glory of God. All right, Romans talks about that. It points to nature as, uh, as an indicator that there is God. But we, in fact, know that it is still filled with death and decay. But the world, more so than the physical side, the world is lost. And it's lost like it's someone stranded in a swamp in the middle of the night. If you guys were stranded in the dark in a swamp in the middle of the night, what's one thing that you would probably want to help? Some light, right? It's the word. The word is a lamp that will lead us out of that swamp. Psalms 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This word is our guide. So if we want to lead people out of the dark, murky world that they are trapped in, we need to have that guide. In the Bible, we're also referred to as the light of the world. But we must let our light shine, and we need to let our light shine in the darkness. But our brightness is determined by how strong we are holding on to the word. Philippians 2, 14 through 16 reads, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, 
so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We hold fast to the word of life, and when we are asked about that light, we tell them to Jesus and we point to our lamp. We point them to the guide, which is the word. It is the only thing that can lead this murky world out of its darkness. So that's the second way that the word shine, outshines darkness is that is our guide. The third one is that our word, the word shines because it is spirit given. Verse 20, knowing, that, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from one's, someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we don't trust in the works of men. Now, there are some amazing authors out there. There are some great defenders of our faith, some awesome literature. Uh, as I'm getting older and, 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 and reading more, the more I'm beginning to understand this, that there are some awesome defenders of our faith, and they have some written some great things. But one thing that we can find is that books will have mistakes. People, the authors of these books, will make mistakes. We'll see that some awesome books will need a new edition to be made because when you read it, you don't understand what's happening because it's not relevant anymore. But our book, the Word, is infallible. It is living. And the reason being is because it is written by the Spirit. It says the hands of men moved by the Spirit like a ship being carried by the wind. What we're going to see in the next chapter is that false teachers will have false words and they'll twist scripture to meet their own greedy desires. Right? They will make scripture say what they want it to say because they will not take the whole book as a whole. They'll say, doesn't the Bible say this? And they'll take like part of a verse. They twist it to say what they want. But because it is spirit written, it also needs to be spirit taught. We must allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, to teach it to us properly, knowing that the world does not have the spirit of truth within them. See, some may, be, may claim to be spirit-led, but how do they align with Scripture? What we have to understand is that the spirit will not contradict itself. So yes, I feel like the spirit is leading me to do these things, and you're like, well, the, the Bible says not to do that. It's like, I must have a new revelation. I don't think so. The Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is God. So we don't have to be taught by only spiritual leaders, and that's one thing that's awesome about the Bible, right? The, the church, in, in, especially in England, right, that was one thing that they, they, they wanted control of, is we want to control what is taught in the Bible. That's why the early years of making the English Bible was, was a difficult history. They wanted to control it. But this word, this book is written for everyday man. Okay, when Peter is writing this, right, he doesn't say written to those that are, uh, have shown themselves to be spiritually in authority or to those that are better than the other people that are below them. No, it says to those that obtained a faith of equal standing. That's you and me. See, it's written for everyday man. So that's one of the reasons that, that we can understand that this word will shine in this world because it's not written by men. It is written by the Spirit. It is guided by the Spirit. So my closing question for you today is, how are you treating the Word? One of the greatest defenses we have against false teachers is knowledge of this book. 
knowledge of the word. How is your knowledge of the word? We must always be prepared and not think that we will get it, understand the book right when the time arises. We need to prepare now. Those that fall asleep and don't stay alert or prepared will be taken over by the enemy. So we must have knowledge of the faith and of the word today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is uh, eternal, that it will outlive every man here. Thank you that it will last, outlast all experiences that we may ever have. Thank you that it outshines all the darkness in the world, that it is our guide. Lord, I pray that we would take it seriously. And as we look into the next chapter, as we see these false teachers and what they look like and what their message is, that we would know how to fight against it because we have knowledge of the faith and we have knowledge of your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.